Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. We are going to be looking this series um, at being rooted and today in particular we are thinking about being rooted in and belonging in Christ. Because the Bible makes it clear that above everything else, our relationships, marriage, families, friends, calling, community, as important of all, as all of these are, the Bible tells us that our truest and most important identity is in Christ. Feelings of loneliness can kind of be dissipated by other relationships, but at the core of our existence and identity, we are created by God and for God. We are lonely for God. Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Is your heart restless this morning? Do you feel that loneliness for God that no other relationship or promotion or purchase can fill the void? So what does it mean to be rooted in Christ? We're going to open up the scriptures this morning. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read from 14 to 21. Ephesians 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer that Paul prays there. What does it mean to be rooted and established in in God? I think this question really comes down to what is your identity? What is the great I am that defines your existence? I am what? And this is such a major theme in the New Testament, particularly in the writings of Paul, that If we were to study it, we could spend months and months and months and just barely scratch the surface. But I think if we were to summon the Apostle Paul up right now in this room and ask him, Paul, who are you? My best guess, based on his writings, is I think he would say this. I am in Christ. Or in Greek, en Christos. This phrase, en Christos, is used over 150 times in the New Testament. Over 150 times. And the New Testament is not that long. And most of those are by Paul himself. 
en Christos, in Christ. Be found in Christ, he says. Be rooted in Christ. Speak the truth in Christ. Glory in Christ. Greet one another in Christ. Hope in Christ. Stand firm in Christ. Who are you, Paul? I am en Christos. I am in Christ. And that basis, that rootedness transforms and uproots and replaces and redefines everything else about who I am. Who are you? Are you the words that people have spoken over you? Are you your successes? Are you your failures? And there's a number of identity traps in culture that I think it's really easy to fall into. And we all know these, and I'm sure we've all seen this happen. Like, for example, I am what I do, performance. You know, for people, when you're talking to them and you kind of, you've clocked, that's actually no longer a career. That's transitioned into an identity. I am what I do, or I am what I have, possessions. What am I wearing, buying, driving, living in? It's when those things, they, they stop just being there to serve a purpose in our lives or to furnish our lives and instead they become who we really are. Or I am what I want, pleasure. And this is a huge and vastly complex area, but in culture we see that Culture wants to say whatever your sexual orientation is, for example, that is who you are. But is that really the truest expression deep down of identity of who you are? Or what other people think I am? Popularity, right? What do people say about me? We live in this weird Instagram world. Is it like how many likes I get equates to how worthy I am? And these are just four little examples of, I'm sure, infinitesimally more ways out there that we have to kind of self-define who we are. And these areas of life, they aren't necessarily a problem in and of themselves, but they become a problem if when we really dig down into our identity, we discover that those are what our roots are in, right? What is the root system of your life? And one of the ways that you can know that is if you were to be uprooted in one of those areas, would you struggle to thrive and survive? That's how you know if they're kind of furnishing your life or if your life is rooted in and built upon them. Or to ask another question, if Jesus were to challenge you in one of those areas and say, do something differently, would it be possible to say yes to him? What are we rooted in? When you dig down deep, where do your roots really land? And C.S. Lewis tackles this question in Mere Christianity. And he says the problem with this kind of culture-driven identity trap is that basically these things are all essentially based on performance and comparison. Right, so it's not that we're proud to have a job. We're proud to have a job better than that guy. It's not that we're proud that we're funny, but we're happy to be funnier than those other people. It's not that I'm happy to be smart, it's that I am happy if I'm smarter than that guy. A better leader, a better preacher, a better server, whatever it is. 
and then we reach the peak of what we feel so accomplished in and the, and the cracks can start to show. So for example, if I was the greatest, most accomplished violinist in my hometown of Bangor, Northern Ireland, and everyone in the town knows me as this, there's Hannah, she's awesome at violin. And that's so much a part of who I am. And then I take a flight to New York and I get out in the subway and there's a guy basking and begging for money playing his violin and he's significantly better than I am. And suddenly my identity begins to shake because it's so built on my performance and therefore by comparison with the people around me. And so C.S. Lewis says these ways of attaining our identity, they're problematic because firstly, they're based on our performance. So we're always under pressure, right? We're always striving and trying. It leaves us under incredible pressure. And secondly, they're excluding of other people, right? I need you to be a little bit worse at things than me in order to feel worth in who I am. What we need, says C.S. Lewis, is an identity that is received, not achieved. An identity that is given, a rebirth, a redefinition. So our great I am statement becomes a statement of belonging, right? Of rootedness in the family of God, which liberates us into beautiful, whole and loving relationships with other people because we're no longer competitive and striving and we don't need recognition. We don't need approval. We don't need someone else to name us because we've already been renamed. And you know, I think this is why Paul says this upwards of 150 times. I am in Christ, you're in Christ. That rooting, that fundamental identity shift changes everything. So how do we do this? How do we step away from these traps and begin to root ourselves in Christ? I think we look to him and away from ourselves. C.S. Lewis says this, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body. In the end, submit every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. You will find him and with him everything else. In Christ, your identity is received, it is not achieved. That's what it means to call God Father. Coming back to the passage, verse 14, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom all fatherhood derives its name. And I know that this, this idea of fatherhood can be incredibly challenging for some of us. Some of us have not experienced positive examples of this. But I think what Paul is trying to say is imagine the most beautiful, unconditionally loving, wonderful father that you can, and then multiply that times a million, and you begin to picture the fatherhood of God. Recently, our little two-year-old Thea was 
she had been a bit poorly and so she'd had a couple nights bad sleep and so she was a little grumpy and a little bit naughty and a little bit of a rascal and she basically spent a whole day kind of a little bit wrestling against Adam and it was like her will versus his and kind of a constant state of um, you know just fighting him on every level no dad I don't want to brush my teeth I don't want to get my jammies on constant fighting and she finally was like wrangled into her pajamas and in her room and she sauntered in and Ad had just got back from a run and had his bottle of water in his hand and she just sauntered right up to him took the water from his hands had a drink handed it back and carried on with what she was doing and Ad just looked at me and said isn't that the gospel <laughs> that we can be little monsters all day long and then at the end of the day just walk up to our dad and help ourselves to the water and that that I think is a little fraction of what Paul is trying to say here is that God calls himself father and what he means by that is that there is an unconditionality to his love for us it is not dependent on our behavior we can be little monsters all day long all life long and still walk in and help ourselves to the water in his hands that we are loved because we are sons, because we are daughters, because we are renamed in his family. Our identity becomes received and not achieved. This means that it's not about what we do, it's about whose we are. But for others of us, I wonder if we struggle with identity because our identity has been so deeply shaped by what others have said about us. And I'm going to take us all back to our youth group days, if you had them, with a little bit of a visual aid for us this morning, because honestly, I saw this as a young person, and I don't think we ever really graduate from this in our lives. Because I wonder how many of us can attest to this truth, that something has been said over us as a child or as a teenager that has stuck with us ever since, right? Something along the lines of, you are not good enough at English to be a writer. You are not really special. Maybe some friends exclude us and we start to think we're not really lovable, we're not really fun, we're never going to be popular. Maybe a parent has accidentally or on purpose said something cruel and these things begin to come in and what they do is they take root and we carry them, right? They become part of who we are. You are a failure. You have an anger problem. You have an addiction to pornography that you're never going to be able to overcome. These things begin to stick to who we are, these comments and these lies. And they begin to take over and build up our identity so that when someone looks at us, what they see is something like this, a mishmash of all of these lies and all of these things that have been spoken to us. And the problem is, is that these things take root, okay? We're trying, we're aiming to be rooted in Christ, but these things are competing. And what the enemy of our souls does, because we have an enemy, right? And what he does is he takes these comments and these lies and he whispers and repeats them to us over and over and over again so that they really begin to stick like glue to our souls. Because he is the greatest liar of all. He's the destroyer of souls. And here's the thing. His worst nightmare 
And greatest fear is a human being rooted in God, fearless and full of God and godliness. And so he will root you to whatever he possibly can, whatever distractions, whatever fears, whatever self-esteem issues he possibly can. He will try and fill you up with those and root you in those so that your sense of worth becomes less and less and less. See, if you think that you are worthless, it becomes really difficult to believe in a God who thinks you are worth dying for. People will look at you and they'll want to define you as a divorcee, as a product of your family history, as that failure from years ago, as that job that you gave up on, that education that you gave up on. But let me tell you this today. You are not defined by any single moment in history except this one. The moment that Christ stood on a hill on Calvary and he looked through history and he saw you and he said, you are worth dying for. When the enemy of our souls wants to come in and chip away at our worth, we must raise our eyes and look to the one who is worthy. He calls us sons and daughters truly beloved. Can you grasp this? Verse 18, Paul says he's on his knees and he's crying out for his people. And he says, God, may they have power to grasp this. Because it takes power, right? It takes a lot to look past this stuff that is sitting so deep in our souls. It takes power to begin to grasp how deep and high and wide and long is the love that Christ has for us. Can you grasp this today? And so how do we get this stuff out of us? This identity baggage, these roots and these lies. Well, verse 19 says this, that you might know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The Bible says that you need to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Now that sounds like a total paradox, doesn't it? How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? We well, have to experience it, to open your heart, to turn your attention to Christ and begin to receive that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I am not that word that someone spoke over me years ago. I am not those lies. And slowly, these things begin to dislodge. Those things that we thought were buried so deep that they'll be a part of us forever, they begin to dislodge. But I'm stopping there because I want to say this to you today, and I believe this is important, is that I think one of the worst things we can do is stop there. Right? We go to church on a Sunday and we get like kind of juiced up, but then by Monday we're back living in this part of who we are again. Right? Because I'm an angry person. And so we excuse our behavior because that's just who I am. But I have my addictions and I have my things and I have my issues. And that's who I am. But I can go and get a little bit juiced up. But Jesus calls this being lukewarm and living a half-life. And what Paul says is, I want you to be filled to the measure with all the fullness. I want to keep being filled and filled right up. I want to get more and more and more. I want to be filled the whole way until every single one of these things is gone. And then you get right to the end, to those stubborn lies that have shaped us, 
for as long as we can remember. And one by one, God brings them to the surface and he says, you know what? That isn't who you are. And that isn't who you're always going to be. Okay, that isn't who you're always going to be. And he begins to dislodge it and uproot it. That, that's not you. Because I see you, I made you, I know who you're becoming. That's not you. You're not your history. You're not that mistake that you once made. That's no longer you. Because when I look at you, I don't see this. I see Christ. I see Christ in you. This is not going to be with you forever. I'm removing it even now. Right down to that very thing that we thought we'd always carry. We'd always walk with a bit of a limp. God says, you will be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. And then when these lies come back or when people say things over us, which they will, and that happens, what happens then? They, they can't get into it. They can't get past the surface, right? And so they become so much easier to deal with because they can't run deep. They can't take root. We want to be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. I mean, theologically, that is the most massive statement. Filled with the fullness of God. I mean, you could write tomes and tomes of theological volumes about how on earth can that be possible? But Paul says it to you today. Do you want to be filled to the fullness with the measure of God? I want to be filled with this. I want to look different because in a world full of ping pong balls, this walking around looks different. Do you want to be fearless? Do you want to be uncompetitive? Do you want to be fully released and free to love well? And so how do we do this? How do we get filled up and saturated with the presence? How do we let our roots grow deep? Well, I think in the word of God, we've got to meditate on it. We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to memorize it. I don't care how long it's been on the shelf. We've got to get back in to the word and in worship, spending time praising God, giving him the glory that he's due in prayer. Are you regularly getting on your knees and encountering this love that Paul says, may you have power to grasp it. Grasping hold of something is active. It's not passive, right? You've got to get on your knees and go after it. And in people, and Jazz is going to talk more on this next week, but we encounter God in one another. You know, those, those Christian friends that you get around and you just feel your faith begin to lift. We encounter God and we get filled up as we spend time with them. I don't want to live that half-life. I want to live filled to the fullness so it uproots and displaces every other thing, that my identity becomes so saturated with the fullness of Christ that I am no longer who I once was. But I am in Christ, rooted in Christ, radically, wholly identified by the one who truly knows and loves me. What do you want to be filled with today? What do you want to be known for? Romans 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled to overflowing? When we live life like filled to overflowing like this is when knocks come, and things come to shake us, which they do and they will, right? 
This year has certainly taught us that. Things will come that shake and knock us. But what happens is what spills out of us is God, right? Are you filled to the measure of the fullness of God? What is flowing out of you? What is overflowing in your life at your deepest level? What are your roots today? I want to close in prayer. And if you're at home and you're thinking, I want this, I want this, I want, there's some stuff in there that I just, I know needs to be uprooted. I want to be filled to the measure. I just invite you to pray with me right now. Just close your eyes wherever you are. Open your hands, open your heart. And Holy Spirit, I pray for every person listening to this word, God, and particularly those who have carried and walked with deep wounds. Lord Jesus, that you would begin to uproot and display some of the lies of the enemy. Holy Spirit, would you come in and minister? And I pray right now for each person gathered that they might have power to grasp your love today that they might have power to grasp your love. How wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. Give us the power to grasp this, that each person gathered and listening to this word might be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. We want the fullness of God in our lives. And I'm going to pray this scripture over you from the message. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father. This magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth, I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Amen.